While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow, 508-996-0500. Chris will be back tomorrow, and tomorrow we'll be joined by New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. He'll be on Tim's show earlier in the day, and then we're going to talk to him about some other stuff uh, in the 7 o'clock hour tomorrow. So you'll definitely want to catch that. But you want to stay tuned tonight. We've got live coverage of the... the um, the special election in Ward 3. Uh, I've got some people out there, uh, hopefully going to get some precinct numbers so we can get a feel for where the race is at. Um, so you guys have heard it uh, before. You heard it on the newscast. Uh, the, the, the two candidates, Carmen Amaral and Sean Oliver, uh, one of them will be the Ward 3 city councilor. They will be sworn in. That candidate will be sworn in this Friday, I believe, at 6 p.m. And they will be serving out the remainder of the term of that Hugh Dunn was elected to in 2021. Uh, Hugh uh, left his seat to pursue his legal career in Boston, working at a Boston personal injury firm and uh, as, as, a, as an attorney. And that news actually broke here. That was a WBSM exclusive that we got here. And so really the the new the 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 coverage of the race started here on South Coast tonight with Chris and me. And it's gonna end here on South Coast tonight with um the announcement of who won the Ward Three City Council seat. The polls close at eight, so if you're in Ward Three, you've got time actually to get to your precinct and vote. It only takes a minute. You've got time to get to your precinct and vote. We've seen some of the. Um, we know that 90 absentee ballots or 90 absentee votes have been taken so far. Um, they, I, I saw Arthur Hirsch in New Bedford Light. Uh, tweet um fairly recently that the elections commission said they're expecting around the same turnout uh, i believe there were 685 voters that turned out in ward three to fill that city council seat which of course is six percent of the of the electorate um six percent of the electorate in ward three which is really bad but still an important election and still a uh, still a seat that is going to be the swing vote on a lot of things uh, on a divided city council. I believe the city council's in a finance meeting right now. When they get out, I don't know if any of them are going to be at city hall to wait for the results. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But um, there's some interesting things in that finance meeting too that we can definitely talk about at a later time. But 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Maybe 
you have an idea of who you think was going to win the race. Maybe there's someone that you want to win the race. And if you want, you can give me a call or shoot me an app chat message. 508-996-0500. We, of course, have Adam Bass. He's out there. Uh, the, the the Bass attack. He, he, he's, he, he's undeterred, Adam Bass. You know, uh, there was a city councilor, Derek Baptiste, that called Adam a little man, right? That that tried, attempted to demean him in public for no reason in a city council meeting. But Adam's undeterred. He's got broad shoulders. He can take it. He's moving forward. Is that acceptable behavior from an elected official? Absolutely not. Is that acceptable behavior from a grown-ass adult? Absolutely not. But nevertheless, Adam Bass, he takes it. He 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 took it. In stride, and he's back at City Hall. He doesn't care. He's going to be there every single meeting covering the things that matter. And he's going to be at City Hall giving us live updates of what's going on, who's there. And hopefully we'll get some precinct numbers too. So looking like pretty low turnout. Uh, I think I'd said this before. You expect the people that showed up at the preliminary are the same people that are going to show up at the general election it doesn't, you know, it's in a in a winter special election ward council seat. You, of course, the people that show up in January are going to be the same people that show up in February. It'd be weird if I, I'd be surprised if more people showed up. Seems like you get the same uh, elector voting block, which was the same voting block in two uh, in two thousand seventeen, about six hundred and. 80 some odd people. It's what uh was was what got Hugh Dunn uh, elected over uh, Beth Photo. I think this election's going to be a little bit closer. That was I think like 69 to 21% or something like that. Yeah. It was about well no, I mean 69-31, something like that. I think this one's going to be a little bit closer. Uh the last election um all of uh, the preliminary election Oliver was up 30 votes with 100 or 33 votes. He had 193 votes, whereas Carmen Amaral had 160. But there's about 350 votes or 330 some odd votes that are up for grabs. So, I mean, I think that makes that 30 vote margin uh, a bit negligible. Having said that, it's a fairly. I think it's going to be a fairly close race. So there's a lot of ground. There's a little bit of ground for for Amaral to make up, but you can definitely make it up with you know the 300 and some odd votes that are left to be cast uh, in the election. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can get on the program this evening. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM uh, the WBSM app chat. Um, Wailing City resident uh, is messaging me saying. Uh, pathetic turnout people need to be more involved yeah i i agree you know what <laughs> what are you gonna do right uh so the important thing right now is i guess for us here at wbsm is that the people that are show, showing up are listening to the station they're they're the conversation starting here and the people that are involved the people that are civically engaged are tuned in we know that right we know that just based on the stories that we've been able to start, the coverage we've been able to start and finish. So uh, we'll hear from Adam when we get the chance. Um, there's, of course, you know, 
some interesting stuff that happened in the closing days of the race. There's that sort of October, we'll call it February surprise, um, with uh, Sean Oliver's Facebook post. We'll see how much of an impact that ends up having. But for now, we're going to take your calls at 508-996-0500. Good evening. Marcus, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. So I do not live in what, uh, where Hugh Dunn was. That, that's what, what, uh, five? Three. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Ward three goes to show you what I know, but um, I tell you. So, what who, is is Hugh Dunn backing any candidate here, Marcus? No, he hasn't. He hasn't endorsed anybody, uh, to my knowledge. He hasn't made any public endorsements. I think he stayed out of the race. Right, right, right. So I got to, um, you know, you guys had a call with uh, Jack Blaine and Chris and yourself uh, about constituent services. Yeah, there were some counselors that had an issue with some of Jack's comments on constituent services. Um, so, and I don't want to speak to uh, Hugh Dunn, who is your friend and my friend. And um, so, you remember when I uh, we, we had Prince Henry had a basketball tournament against the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick. I was in that I tournament. My, I tore my Achilles tendon, right? Yeah. So the moral of the story is: when you reach sixty-two, don't go up against uh, you know. Um, uh, Liam Saunders or any of the Irish guys are going <laughs> right. to knock your head off, right? Yeah. But anyway, so um, that in that ward, I you know I had my boot on. I had the uh, you know the surgery was pretty bad, but I offered to take uh, Hugh, our friend, around. And as he was knocking on doors, you know we had the voters list. Like you know I've done this for years, Marcus. And um, so I I drove Hugh and I dropped him. Uh, you know just say on you know, Potter Street, you know, 65 Potter Street. And then there weren't any registered voters until you got to 121 Potter Street. So I would move Hugh around. And I had my window down, and I said, you know, Hugh, the next people we're going to go see are the Pharaohs or Sylvia's, for example. And then I would be, you know, in the car, wave to them. And, uh, Marcus, i got to be honest with you, and I don't know where all that constituent service came from, and I don't want to speak for a councilor done, but there were, I mean, it was like almost every other house we went to, he was coming back, taking notes about, you know, something that needed to be done, yeah. whether it was trash pickup or potholes, anything. And 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 I think that Hugh was uh, focused on that. And here we are doing, you know, uh, door to door asking for their votes. And they were that's what they they weren't asking Hugh things like, uh, how did you vote on this uh, budget? It was about themselves, and I, I just don't understand. And again, Marcus, I do not want to speak for Councilor Dunn, and I, I'm being upfront that I was there shuttling him around, but I thought that constituent service was a big part of re-election, and I kind of disagree with the fact that if if somebody complains or neighborhoods complain, especially up behind the high school about things that were going on, it's just it's not just uh you know the pharaohs at uh, at 121 potter or sylvia at 125 potter it was the the community in general and i i just don't understand that whole if you take a tree down for me then you're you're ruining so, it th- so those else. were those were jack's those were jack's comments to be fair they weren't mine or, or chris's those were jack's comments those are his positions on constituent services he felt as though it was a you know inappropriate use of I guess city councils, a uh, city council's power or influence, right? Um, he Correct. said, he Correct. said, constituent services should be carried out in a in a in a different way than them calling people, you know, directly. Now, 
I think that was a big, that was something that was said here, and the counselors definitely took a big issue with it. And he, he talked more about it on Tim's. The counselors definitely took a big issue with it because a few of them had explained why constituent services were so important. And uh, I think Counselor Abreu actually had read uh, the part of the city charter in which constituent services are listed as a responsibility of, of a council member. So, and, and Marcus, uh, not to interrupt you, sir, but you know, in Chris, uh, you know, he took offense to the fact that on a higher level, whether it's as a re- House of Representatives or certainly a senator like McLean or, or Montigny, that you know, that these guys they you know they take constituent services and they bring them up to the state house. So, so therefore, real quick, Marcus, right? So, I live on a street, you live on a street, we all live on a street. Some people don't care about their property, they don't care about a pothole. In, in in a particular neighborhood, but some do. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm with you and Chris, and, of course, I have my differences with Mr. Splain, but I just think it's a basic function of having your feet to the, you know, the yeah, your ear to the ground. And, you know, as some people would hear a uh, an alarm going off, you know, to take cover and, uh, you know, to go into a uh, bomb shelter. Some people are going to take cover on a hurricane. They're going to go and take shelter. Some people are going to be those guys that don't do anything, and they get swept away by a a tornado. So I think constituent services is based upon the person's perception, how they, what their concept is of how they view it, and then how they explore it, i.e., what level that they go to, like what they were doing with with Hugh Dunn. And by the way, Councilor Dunn, he would come in and he'd go, you go, Barry, what was that street address? And he'd write down, you know, they had a problem with trash pickup. So I, I agree with you guys. Spillane has his own idea of it. Uh, some people are, are better in tuned with it. But as a whole, if, if we don't have the ability to voice our opinions about our community, then what are we really? I mean, are we all supposed to be vanilla, Marcus? Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, is that it's, it's just such an important... Um way to connect with with your with your constituency it's what really the the fundamental stuff people expect from their government is what constituent services provide i know that as a member on the the you know the public works commissioners here in fairhaven there's stuff that people call me about and ask me hey can you talk to the superintendent can you talk to so and so about seeing if we can do something about this and i and i do and Mark, Mark, you know it's Mark, it's, it's, it's an, the operative word that you just said i don't know can. yeah can, can. Can you? Can you? They're not saying that, you know, if you're holding hostage, you know, you guys. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not calling, you know, department heads saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to fire you. You know, I'm just asking them well, if they can do it. Right. Yeah. They might not even know about the situation. And remember, you guys yeah. all coming to my house and we'd have hamburgers. Some guys wanted them medium rare. Some guys wanted them well done. Some guys wanted them rare. You don't just give everybody a hockey puck. Mm hmm. Yeah, no. I thought you guys handle it well, Marcus. By the way, thank you. I, I appreciate that, and and I, yeah, I just I, I agree. I, I think that's you know without 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 constituent services, it's really hard to it's really hard to imagine like what a local campaign looks like. Honestly, without without that focus on you know really that individual focus on what people are asking for in their neighborhoods. Um, I got to tell you something. Carl, Chris stuck up for a different clean. Carl Ribeiro, uh, he used to own, um, you remember Carl Ribeiro? They had um, yeah. Luzo Food Service. Yeah, yeah. So Carl 
coined Senator McLean one of the most natural, most valuable natural resources that we have here. And then Ted Kennedy, when I was uh, uh, at the uh, Russell Building, he, he, he said the same thing, Biff McLean and Mark Montigny, a man and a half. So that's how we do business, and that's how bridges get built. You can't, you know, it, it starts basically, but it has to be rolled up to, you know, the Senate level. It's just the process, and I don't understand how, how Splink cannot see that. And I, I know Chris got engaged in, in protecting Biff McLean, but those are our most natural, uh, most valuable resources, are our politicians and the people that listen to our basic pothole complaint. Yeah. I agree. Right, Marcus, thank you for giving me a minute. Oh. Absolutely, Barry. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Keep it up. Keep. Yeah, no, I think he's absolutely right there. And, and that's one of the things that um, it, we always say the, the, you know, we always say in the show, we, we say it here on WBSM that the local stuff really matters the most because it has the biggest impact on your day-to-day -day life. Um, your local elected officials, your select board member, or your city councilor. That's why we cover these races. Um, that's why we covered the Fairhaven Select Board recall, right? That's why we cover the city council special election, right? That's why we covered Defend Dartmouth. And that's why we'll continue to cover those things because those things matter most to you in, in your immediate, what's happening to you in your immediate day to day life, right? All that stuff about who's president, who's your con, you know, who's your congressman's really important whose president is really important but your day-to-day -day life is impacted by who your municipal elected officials are and so you know i think for a city councilor or a selectman or a public works commissioner or somebody in those positions it's important or uh it's important to it's important to have that engagement with the voters um and I just don't know what a local campaign looks like without constituent services. You know, I said this before. I say this all the time. One of the things that one of the things that I experienced when we were doing Dunn's campaign six years ago, when we were doing when we were doing phone banking, right? We were calling everybody, and we were we were saying, you know, like, hey, you gonna go out and vote? Yes. Are you gonna go out and vote for Hugh Dunn? Yeah. I oh my god, he came over. We had coffee. He pet my dog. He told me he was gonna fix the light, the pothole, this, that, the other thing. It wasn't yeah. You know, like I like his position on whatever sanctuary cities. No one cared, right? I like his position on whatever. Um, Abortion, no one cared, right? They didn't care about really the larger, even even citywide policy stuff. That stuff's important, but in order to get there, you've got to fix people's immediate problems. The most essential services people expect from government come from municipal government. 508-996-0500. Good evening, you're live. Hey, Marcus. Hey, what's up? Hey, um... It depends on what you're looking from government, right? Are you, are you looking for a good deal or are you looking for a, a service? It's interesting you had Biff McLean on. I mean, what a notorious character in Massachusetts history. I, I mean, you guys were mentioning Biff McLean. But I, I did want to just point this out. I wish you would ask 
you had the Chancellor from UMass Dartmouth on mm-hmm. yesterday, and you mentioned you were a alumni of the law school. Um, a prior uh, Chancellor, Gene McCormick, was was Chancellor during the uh, period when they assumed uh, control of the uh, New England School. Was it New England School? Yeah, it was Gene McCorm- McCormick was uh, the... Uh, when I actually, when I first got there, she was the outgoing. Um, she was the outgoing chancellor. Yeah, she was instrumental. So she presided over the 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 the, the takeover, the the purchase of the law school. Yeah, she. My understanding is she was instrumental in that. In that oh, happening. Yeah, no, yeah. she was. She and she was quite. I mean, I, listen. She's a very impressive person. She's you know retired now. By the way, she's her retire her state retirements over 190,000 a year so not not a bad uh, life of public service but she claimed in the when the law schools in Boston the private law schools argued against the UMass takeover that that the, the UMass law school would be a, a money generator and i for you know for the system and i would have loved to hear after a year in service with the Dartmouth chancellor Said, is it is that a money maker for a UMass system? Do you think, or the UMass Dartmouth? I mean, I know that in my time, I don't. I've, I'm not. I, you know, honestly, I'm not sure. I know that they have they, their enrollment has increased exponentially. What um, would you guess about it being a money maker or a, or a, or a burden for the taxpayer? Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure. Like the the thing is, is as I know, the enrollments increased, so that means they're to they're getting more tuition. Dollars. I, I don't know how that. I, I just have no idea what the operating budget is and how much well, they bring in tuition. In in general, there isn't a government operation that's a money maker. Well, there really isn't supposed to be, right? Um, no, no, there's not supposed to be. But that was the way it was sold. Yeah, and that was the argument against. You know, Suffolk University was dead set against it. Of course they were. Um, yeah right, and, and so was so was I think North. You know, no, oh oh, so so Suffolk and University and New England School of Law were probably the two two of the most vocal in opposition. It's because they were similar. Yeah, they were similar caliber law schools that were going to be exponentially more expensive. I don't, I don't think I don't. What was what was it called before UMass took it over? It was, Southern um, New England School of Law. Which, by the way, even they we, weren't accredited at the time. Were they, they? So actually, they got accreditation. My, Around the same time. They, yeah, they got my accreditation my at the end of my first year at UMass Law. That's when the school got accredited. So we're all kind of, we're all we're all pretty nervous about that. Actually, yeah, well, no, listen, <laughs> and the accreditation is a whole nother. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and what was interesting? Suspicious thing is just that the the, the idea that the government provides the service that we need when they when they expand and they justify it and they use an excuse. Uh, they use a proposition that it's going to be a money maker. Yeah, I mean everybody's hair should stand on end. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a money maker or not, but I will say what I will say about UMass Law is that it's a tremendous asset to the region in terms of I think the people that it's been. I mean a lot of our a lot of people that are in like leadership positions here in the in in the South Coast come from UMass Law. We talked about Hugh Dunn, Chris Hendricks, uh, a lot of people in the DA's office come from UMass Law. There's a lot of really good public advocates that come from that school. So it's definitely been a, uh, a net benefit for the region. I don't know if it's been a money maker. I, I think a net benefit is, is different than a uh, profit center. And I, I, agree. I agree with you. Uh, having a, uh, a, a accredited law school down here is, yeah. a, is a good thing, and I'm, I'm not against it. It was just the 
to me it was um, really a, 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 just a farcical notion that it would make money. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I don't. I, I, like, I'm, we'll build a hockey rink that will make money, but we won't charge them taxes. We won't charge them utilities. Right. Right. We won't, we won't charge them for the Zamboni. And look, they made money for us. But somebody paid for all those other things. Right. You know, anyway. So, hey, Marcus, uh, keep it going, my man. Thanks for uh, taking the call. Anytime. Thanks for calling. Yeah, bye. I, I think we're going to get, I think, I'm going to take this break now. And uh, when we get back, actually, Jack Spillane's going to call in. So, uh, stay tuned. 1420 WBS. Joining us now is New Bedford Light reporter Jack Spillane. Hey, Jack. Hey, Marcus. I'll just correct that a little bit. New Bedford Light columnist. Columnist. I, I, as soon, honestly, that. as soon as I said reporter, I'm like, that's not correct. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Jack, uh, you've um, you've you've kicked up quite the storm here with your comments on Wednesday on South Coast tonight after the debate about constituent services. And um, I know some city councilors the next day took some issue with it because they talked about it in the in the meeting um, it addressed it almost directly. So, uh, you know, what is your position on constituent services? So, um, first of all, let me say I'm a regular listener of South Coast uh, tonight. So I heard my name uh, being taken in vain a little bit a, a, a bit ago. So I, I, I felt my position on constituent services of being misconstrued a little bit. Okay. So I, I wanted to um, uh, explain it a little better if I could, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity, Marcus. Of course. Um, so uh, I'm not against constituent services. I think it's an important part of government. So anybody who is, is trying to say that I don't think it's important is, is, is misconstruing my position. I do think that you have to be very careful of it because when people have the power of the purse, as the city council does over department heads, it can very quickly get very muddy as to, you know, the communication going back and forth. And I think as um, uh, uh, the caller said that the operative word is can, but can is not always the way the communications go through as far as I'm uh, informed. Sometimes there is an expectation and sometimes there is a, you know, uh, an understanding. And that's why, um, both Mayor Lang and Mayor Kalis, um, during parts of their administration, encouraged, if not outright required, the city councilors to go to the mayor's office to get constituent services done. I think that's a better formula. I'm not against, as I said on Tim's show, um, the council is talking directly to the um, department heads, but I think they have to be very polite when they do that, and they have to be very, um, I'm asking, you know, uh, I, I wish you would consider uh, uh, such and such, um, because it, you know, the, the, the councils do have the power of the person. They have the power to make, uh, department heads life difficult in all different ways. Um, yeah, I true. do think it's, and also there is favoritism that can go on. I'm not saying favoritism goes on in every case, but I think there are cases like where so-and-so calls and says, can you fix my streetlight? And that person is a person of influence. Maybe they give money. Maybe they, um, just a person of stature in the community that does a lot of business or whatever, and their streetlight gets fixed before somebody else's streetlight. You know, you call and you say, that counselor, she's very good. She always gets my tree trimmed or my streetlight fixed. Well, yeah, because your tree got trimmed or your streetlight got fixed before somebody else's did because they had to go to the back of the line because uh, they didn't know enough to call the counselor or they didn't um, – 
uh, call the council for whatever reason. And there really should be a process for how things get done in the city so that there isn't favoritism. Minority communities in particular have, have, have historically been disadvantaged um, when there are, are processes that have to do with those who are politically connected. And I think a lot of people in this city, you know, I, I've, I've covered politics for 40 years. I, I know how politics works, and I don't think you're ever going to get that all out of it. But I do think that there are reform-minded ways to go about constituent services in, in ways that are just the old, like, you know, I'll slap your back and you slap my back. And I, I really think it's better to have a, um, a merit-based constituent services um, uh, uh, approach than, than otherwise. So I just wanted to say that. So you think that, um, cause counselors are going to field calls from their constituents uh, about things like, you know, the pothole issues. And what you think is that the counselors should be filtering that through the mayor's office instead of going directly to the department heads. Well, no, I, I, as I said, I don't object to them communicating directly with the department heads, but as far as the decision being made, you know, I think that, the, I think that, you know, someone can say, you know, I, I'd, I'd like you to consider this streetlight or I, you consider this um, pothole or whatever. Yeah. But then, you know, and um, can you tell me why these streets are being repaved and these streets are not being repaved? And then, but when the decision, I, I think that the counselor can make that suggestion can make that request or make that that uh, application for information. But the final decision, I think, the department head has to go back to the mayor or the executive office, it may not be the mayor himself, but whoever is doing things in the mayor's office, and they have to make a decision as to what is the right thing to do here. Now, I get the criticism that sometimes mayor's offices can be very bureaucratic and they can be dismissive. And we've had several instances where I've written columns about people who have gone to the mayor's office, not gotten satisfaction, and had to either get it to the press or a counselor, you know, being heavy-handed with the mayor. But I don't think it's 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 really a good process for the for the favors to be going back and forth between the department heads and the counselors directly. I don't, I don't think I think management is done by management, and the executive office is the mayor's office or the city manager's office, or the town manager's office. I don't think it's an efficient system. And, or a very good one for the select board to be managing the employees, for the city councilors to be managing the employees. I think that's the mayor's office or the town administrator. And that's just the way I feel. So um, so basically, like a situate, an example of that would be like if a city councilor, you're talking about paving roads, right? And they said, well, why is this road being paved over here and that, that road not being paved over there? When can you pave that road? And they tell them, we can pave it by this day or we can pave it by around this time. And then that constituent says, and then the, the council goes back to them and says, well, we can pave the road around this time, right? Or something like that. Or we can get to that pothole around this time. We can't get to it right away. Is that more or less what? I, I guess. Uh, I, I mean, the city has a, uh, a app right now that, you know, if you want to trace, like, when your request is being, you know, like a streetlight or a pothole, whatever it is, you want to tr trace, you know, where it's where it's at. It's just, it's the thing that. people fundamentally but, most expect from their city councilors is having constituent services. You know, it's yeah, like... You keep saying that, you keep saying that, and some of the callers keep saying that, and they may expect that because there's been a, been a, a uh, you know, New Bedford has long had a patronage... Uh, uh, machine type politics that has governed it and much of the country has like it's not they didn't call it Kimmy Hall for nothing like you know and I just 
think that that is not the best system of government. I think a, a reform system that is merit-based is better. And I, 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 again, I don't object to the councilors calling the, de- the department heads or anybody else who works for the city directly and making their case. But then I want the department heads to go to the mayor, you know, in, or the mayor's office. It probably won't be the mayor in most cases. And, and you know, say this is what they're saying. Are we, are we doing these roads a little bit too giving them too much priority over other roads. Now, if the mayor is unresponsive, and that's entirely possible, mayors can get very bureaucratic and unresponsive, and then maybe some of the councilors says, look at, I'm waiting for these roads or this school to be built. Or, you know, I think Councilor Moore, I did that, I think, very effectively about a North End school a few years ago, and I'm not going to vote, you know, for your South End schools until I get a North End school, like, you know, or whatever. You can do that. That's politics. But... I just think that the, the, you know, do this, and I, I, I have heard of some instances where the, 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 it's very muscular what the counselors are asking, you know, with, with these department heads, and I, I don't think it's a good system. Okay, fair enough. Um, I appreciate. I mean, it doesn't sound like you agree with me, but but but. but I mean, I, I mean, I I don't I I understand the point you're trying to make. Um, I understand the point you're trying to make. I just, you know, what you're asking for is a total, like upheaval of the way things are done i, I you know and fr- yeah I'm, fr- I'm 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 a reform guy I'm, Frank, I'm, frankly I'm, I'd, know, I'd like yeah. to i'd like you to come in studio so we can have a lengthier conversation about this and take some calls maybe i think that would be i think that would be uh i think that would be very productive and it'd be fun you me and chris coming and, and yeah, talking we, about we that might, we might we might not we might be able to do it i i, I was not crazy about the last um, incident as you know uh, oh i'm sure you'll uh, be i'm sure you'll be it, okay it, jack <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure everything will be fine. But Jack, you're out. You're out covering the Ward Three race uh, right now. Um, anything? Uh, anything you notice that's particularly interesting? Well, I think there's a couple things going on. One is that the, the weather has really depressed the turnout. You don't get good turnout these days in New Bedford and a lot of other places. Um, otherwise, but I think one of the hidden stories here is how the people at Tabor Mill apartments um cannot vote in the voting polls in it's their own terrible building. it's terrible uh, it's just a. and i understand how it happened with the redistricting and the state going first but that i'm i my understanding is that the the, the the voting turnout in that building has plummeted because people are elderly or disabled and they they can't get up to holy family and in all honesty they could move one of the two precincts at holy family to Tabor mills because it used to have precincts but you're talking about a little notch of Ward 3, Precinct C, that goes into the inner city, yeah. that goes into this low-income neighborhood, and the rest of that precinct is all in the middle-class neighborhoods of Ward 3, and I can see why they've got the they've got the polls more centrally located, but that's very much to the disadvantage of the people in this poor building. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we used to, you know, they, the they used to be a, a pretty a hot spot too. I mean, I think people still go there for, you know, ca- the ward councilor or the can- candidates still go there and stuff. But it was a lot I'm easier. For- I'm, I'm told their numbers have just collapsed since since they can't vote in the building. And people told me that tonight that that you know um, we have a van, but people say I'm not I'm not going out there. I could slip. I'm you know yeah. people are elderly. They they're, they're not gonna do it. It is it is pretty terrible. It's something that they uh, I I honestly thought it would be a good campaign issue for someone to 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 make an issue, but no one uh, no one picked up on it. At least this time, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. All right. All right, Jack. Thanks for let me t- let me give my my say. Anytime, Jack. Thanks. Yep. Oh. That was uh, Jack Splain, New Bedford Light columnist. I'm going to take a break. 
1420 WBSM can now be heard on 99.5 FM. Are you concerned? Marcus McCarthy. South Coast Tonight is the place to react to all of the day's news and where they make some news of their own. Back to the talk now on WBSM. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. Again, though, uh, what is your uh, so someone's asking me JJ from Fairhaven what what is your what is your guesstimate is what time you'll be able to announce the election results last time I want to say it happened around quarter to nine I'm hoping we'll be able to get some precinct numbers leading up to then polls are closing in about well eight minutes so if you live close to a polling place in Ward three you haven't voted yet um, you know get your running shoes on get there but. Uh, last time, it was around quarter to nine, I want to say. And then we heard from the candidates after. Um, but uh, I, I would guess it's around the same, because it's the same amount of people, right? Same amount of votes, probably. Maybe even fewer based on how how bad the weather was earlier today. Um, that does, unfortunately, affect turnout. But I would guess quarter to nine. That's around when we were able to call it last time uh if i can get some precinct numbers maybe we can call it sooner like when the we had the primary day chris and i were able to call two races uh the two state rep primaries strauss and and and, and markey their primary races we were able to call it because we heard from well the candidates themselves actually but we'd heard from them that you know they'd given us their their not because they had had people at the precinct getting numbers and all that. So we had heard from them and uh, were able to call those races. So if I can get some precinct numbers, maybe I can, you know, maybe I can do a little bit of quick math. But um, I would say the elections office will be will will be calling the race around eight forty five, and we'll be here to to make that call as well. Adam Bass is actually at City Hall right now. He's getting a jump on it. He's the bass is on the attack. So 508 996 I want to thank Jack Blaine for listening and calling in to clarify his position. Um, and uh, I'm going to take this uh, this break. The WBSM app is every. Uh, let's take this call. Good evening. Marcus, how you doing? It's John. Hey, okay. John, what's up? Listen, uh, I want you to go on. The Fairhaven Firefighters Association Local 1555 on Facebook. It's public. I think there's a post on there you need. You guys need to cover. Okay. You need to, um, I know everybody's heads are wrapped around New Bedford Police Department being on the staff, but I think that there needs to be some light shed on how the Fairhaven Firefighters are extremely understaffed. Okay. Um, I brought it up before in the past. I know you're, you're a busy man, but I think the post that was posted a day ago, I think you need to read. Okay, I'll I'll check it out. I appreciate you um, bringing it to my attention.